lane and jams it down. Taking you behind the scenes and inside the locker room. You're listening to The Raptors Beat with Josh Lewinberg and Nikki Reyes on TSN 1050. The Raptors live here. Welcome, welcome to the Raptors Beat. Josh and Nikki here with you for a special Wednesday edition of the Raptors Beat. The eve of Game 6 right here in Toronto as the Raptors on Thursday try to do something no team has ever done in NBA history. Josh, it's it's worth repeating time and time again. No team has come back from a 3-0 series deficit. Joining us this hour, Jack Armstrong will be talking about this pivotal game, an elimination game for the Toronto Raptors. But Josh, now that we've had some time to digest what we saw in game five, how the Raptors were able to contain and limit the 76ers to just 88 points, something that's only happened to them five times during the regular season. The Raptors responsible for one of those um, wins 88 points or fewer I should say what do you glean from that that huge win in Philly where the fans were just turning on their own team well first of all I I glean that the Sixers fans are certainly nervous I I think the Sixers might be too (laughs) right like as as I wrote after the game belief is a powerful thing and clearly the Raptors believe that they can pull this thing off and, and and more and more you're starting to see a little bit of nervousness a little bit of fear in the eyes of the the Sixers I mean the fans just being in that building we talked about it when was that on Monday night mm-hmm. uh, we, we talked about it the other day you, you could just like feel the nervous energy building in that arena and the crazy part is it didn't really take long like pretty early in the game midway through the second quarter you could feel things turn a little bit that's when the booze started coming down the fans started to get restless if you didn't know any better, it sounded like they were down 3-1 rather than, than up 3-1 in, in the series. But they've got a history. They've got a, an uninspiring playoff history in Philadelphia, as well as they, they know, obviously, what Doc Rivers has has dealt with during his time at, on the bench with the Clippers and, and, and all that, and James Harden. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think things have shifted here. I mean, a lot of people expected this series to go the distance. I, I would have said going into it, I'd be shocked if it doesn't go at least six games. But this is not how I expected them to get there. I don't think it's how anybody expected them to get there. But 3-0, while it's never been done before, I appreciate that the Raptors haven't approached it that way. They're not looking at it like that. And it's easy to say it. It's another thing to go out there and, and, and do it. They're taking things one game at a time. It's the old cliche, but like you could sort of see, like they're they're going out there, they're trying to get one, and then it's like, okay, well, let's get another one, let's get another one, and for a young team to be able to take that approach, and and I said this going into Game Four and and after Game Four is like, I I just think it's human nature in a situation like that where you know the history, you know no one's ever done it before, you see the writing on the wall, it's it's sort of natural to take your foot off the gas a little bit, especially as a young team start to look ahead to your vacation and, and plan your off season. But the Raptors didn't do that. I give Nick Nurse a lot of credit for keeping these guys locked in and focused. And then, as you mentioned, they were even better in Game 5, elimination game on the road, no Fred Van Vliet. You don't have your all-star point guard. Um, and they controlled that game start to finish. I think we have to really give this team credit because you, you talk about, you know, 
taking it one game at a time. Well, since game one, they've had challenges in front of them. They were without um, Scotty Barnes, you know, for the for the latter half of, of that game. And then obviously for the next couple of games, Gary Trent Jr. was never himself. Um, and then he found, finally bounced back. Fred Van Vliet losing him. Um, and they've risen to the occasion. Thad Young. Thad Young. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thad Young. Like, there has just been challenge after challenge for this team. And, yes, Joel Embiid is playing, you know, with his thumb issues. But since game one, Toronto has been behind the eight ball, and, and they've just risen to the occasion. And speaking of Fred Van Vliet, like, he, he's, what, can, is it safe to assume that he's not going to be available for the rest of this series? And it is strange that the Raptors have had two days off since uh, their last game, which is probably a great thing because there's this photo of, of Scotty Barnes and the rest of the team celebrating, you know, after – that win on, on in game five, and he's just sitting there with an in an, with his foot in an ice bucket, and more time for him to get better, of course, is is, is a good thing. But it, I guess Josh, it's safe to assume that there's going to be no Fred for game six. Yeah, I, I mean, speaking to him the other day, the sense that I got was that he expects to miss the rest of this series. He did sound hopeful that the Raptors could pull this off, and and that he might be able to play in a second round, a potential second round series against Miami. But even as, as tough as Fred is, and as much as you know he wants to be out there, this doesn't seem like the sort of thing that, that goes away or even is manageable and allows you to play through it in, in the near future. Um, so I, I don't think we'll see Fred out there. I'm not sure that that's such a bad thing, to be honest. Yeah. And listen, let's clarify here. The Raptors are not a better team without Fred Van Vliet. They're not even a better team without a hobbled Fred Van Vliet. And I know a lot of people have been saying that too. It's like, okay, well, Fred hasn't been full, at full strength. He hasn't been fully healthy in a while. Maybe they're better off without him um, at less than full strength. Nine times out of ten, I wouldn't even agree with that either. Like, I, I think even at less than 100%, he's bringing something. He's impacting the game. He's one of your best shooters, e even if he can't quite get up and down the floor the way that we're used to seeing. And, and even if he's not getting up and down the floor the way we're used to seeing he's still so smart defensively that he gives you something on that end of the floor too what I will say is the Raptors might be better off without a hobbled Van Vliet in this series in this matchup mm -hmm. we, we've seen he hasn't shot the ball especially well here in this series so I, I don't think you're you've been missing that anyway um and then defensively he's really been exposed with, with the speed and the quickness of Tyrese Maxey Without Fred VanVleet on the floor, it's interesting because Nurse obviously has the option of going to Malachi Flynn, and maybe we see that some in Game 6. We didn't see it in Game 5. And, listen, I, I like Flynn, and I, I thought he played well, at least defensively, on Harden in, in his short spurts earlier in this series. But if you are essentially replacing VanVleet with Flynn... Same sort of idea, traditional point guard, you're just basically downgrading at the position. Instead, what they've done, and, and this is what's really innovative and, and, and really interesting to me and sort of fits with the philosophy of, of the team and the season and, and just the way that they've built this roster, is they've said, all right, well, we're going to do something different here. We're, we're leaning in even further to these funky lineups, to this unconventional positionless style of play. They've had a ton of size and length and athleticism switchability on the floor and to me that's been a series changer because the Sixers have had a really hard time Joel Embiid has had a really hard time the shooters who were getting whatever looks they wanted early yeah. in the series they've had a hard time 
adjusting and adapting to that. And, and to me, that was the key in, in game six. And no point that I think, okay, well, the Raptors don't have a point guard on the floor. They're having trouble executing their offense or getting into their sets. I think Siakam and Barnes did a great job of that. And I just think the strengths of those types of units, at least to this point in the series, have far outweighed any weaknesses or, or holes in them. Yeah, and that's exactly why we saw Scotty and, you know, uh, Pascal uh, run the floor during the regular seasons for moments like this. And, and you know, they have seen life without Fred, and they do know how to, to handle that, that situation. And, you know, earlier we were talking about how the minutes were weighing on these players and how's it going to be in the postseason. And, and who's to say whether, you know, Fred's heavy minute workload contributed to what he's feeling now. Um, but we can, you know, also say conversely that the the heavy minutes have made this team look good in the playoffs. Like Pascal Siakam, I know he's got a motor, but he's feeling no effects or showing no effects, at least, uh, of any fatigue. And and you look at someone like Joel Embiid, who in game five, like had his hands on his knees, doubled over. And that obviously has a lot to do with what the pressure that the Raptors were bringing to Joel, um, just making life difficult for him. But I want to flip the, the conversation right now because after the game, Embiid was kind of essentially calling out James Harden, saying that he has to be more aggressive. Um, <laughs> what do you what do you make of that uh, calling out your teammates uh, post game? Well, yeah, that that's not a good look, especially given the history there with Embiid and and Ben Simmons. This is not the time of the year, as the Sixers <laughs> should know firsthand, where you want to be doing stuff like that, especially with a new teammate coming in mm-hmm. in James Harden. Also, I'm not even sure that that's the correct take if you're Embiid. Does Harden need to be more aggressive? Yeah, sure, maybe, but does he need to be taking more shots? Well, I think that might be pretty good news for the Raptors, as if there wasn't enough good news for the Raptors on Monday night, then we come out and see Joel Embiid saying Harden needs to take more shots. I think that's only a good thing for the Raptors if if Harden is taking more. Listen, this isn't the James Harden of old. He was really good, I thought, in this series to to open things up the first few games, but it's not because he was taking a lot of shots or scoring a ton. He had a, a huge impact on those games as a playmaker. Now, obviously, that's easier to do when guys like Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris are knocking down their shots, mm-hmm. which they weren't in, in Game 5. As a playmaker, you're, it, it, you're only as good as, as the guys that, that are, are making plays for you. Um, but... I think if you're the Raptors, that's great. Like, that's what you want. You want the ball in Harden's hands. You want him to be a scorer because the more the ball's in Harden's hands, that means it's in Embiid's hands even less. And know what? Like, and and maybe this is worth a conversation as well. I, I think there's a ton of pressure on the Sixers. I think there's pressure on Harden. I think there's pressure on Embiid. There's obviously pressure on Doc Rivers. Doc. <laughs> but to me, like, Joel Embiid needs to be, like, the ball, I need the ball. I need to be more aggressive. I need to take more shots. This is on me, and right now it really looks like it. Certainly it did in Game 5. Like The only way the, uh, the Sixers were winning that game is if Embiid really took over. And to me, like, I mean, you mentioned defensively. I thought defensively in the second half he just quit. He just oh, yeah. quit. Like the, the, he, he's, This is an all-defense player, an all-NBA defensive team caliber player. He, he's talked about being a defensive player of the year type of player. And I, I know the Raptors have been trying to make him work defensively all series long, but this is another level. They were literally seeking attacking. out opportunities to attack him 
every possession. There were seven possessions in a row where they attacked him in the third quarter. They scored, I think, five or six of them. He had his hands on his knees, laboring up and down the floor, and I know he's dealing with the finger thing. He's been holding it and tugging at it um, after most shots and throughout the game, but to me, that that's more than a finger issue. That's that's like a, a mental thing where... Well, yeah. He's got to be, and offensively, there, there were moments, especially in the second half, where I, I get the idea of making the right play when, when teams are doubling or, or throwing three guys at you, but there were some scenarios where he was waiting for the help to come before making the pass, yeah. as in the idea there was to make the pass, but again, like outside of five minutes from Danny Green in the second quarter, nobody was knocking anything down, so to me, like the pressure, I think more than any of the Harden and, and, and Rivers, like I think the pressure more than anybody else is on Joel Embiid, and for him to defer and be like, well, James Harden needs to do more, yeah, no, I, I think if, if that's really the way that he feels, that's great news for the Raptors. Yeah. Joel's legs need to do more because you said it like his thumb may be hurting but his legs were not moving and he looked like a defeated man in that second half and I think this has always kind of been the thing with Joel of course is as great as he is physically and and he's such a dominant player at times like when you get to him in that mental side and you start you know chipping away he starts cracking and I think the Raptors you know obviously are in his head they have been in his head uh those first you know three games he he was riding high but these last two games man he's really shown um that they the Raptors and Nick Nurse in particular really uh hold space in his brain and you talk about Philly's shooting woes and you know for the game they shot 38 point three percent from the field 27 from three and you have to anticipate that that's gonna maybe uh rise up here in 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 an elimination game uh but the raptors in particular haven't been shooting well from three um and nick nurse said as much like you know they're about 20 25 percent now you're without fred van vliet who's one of the best three-point shooters uh, in the league josh as we look ahead and we get set to welcome in jack armstrong in in the second uh segment here at around 10 20 how do you see this one playing out? How do you see this elimination game unfolding for the Raptors? And do they have to change much? Or have they found a recipe uh, to success? Um, it, It's interesting. I think you have to be open and ready to change if and when the, the situation calls from it. But right now, the, the pressure is on Doc Rivers to make those adjustments. I think the Raptors have found something mm-hmm. that works, both in terms of their lineups and their rotation, but also their their approach. And the way that they're defending Joel Embiid. We've talked about it all series long. You don't have that that big, physical, traditional center that you can throw at him. But the Raptors have done, whether it's Precious Achua or Thad Young, those guys have done a pretty good job of holding their ground initially and, and giving, pu- pushing Embiid off of his spot, keeping him from getting deep post position, and giving the Raptors enough time to be able to send that help and force Embiid to be a playmaker and to make that pass. And I think, again, Embiid has made it a little bit easier on on them. Um, There was a play, I think it was in the first half of Game 5, where the Raptors, in the end, had three guys on him. I think it was OG, Boucher, and Achua. So three guys in the 6'8", 6'9", neighborhood. And Embiid just like completely bullied his way through all three of them and dunked the ball over them. And, like, to me, again, that, that's what Joel Embiid, one, can do. It has nothing to do with the finger. Like, use your size, use your strength, get that positioning. Be patient, too. Like, I, I think some of it is just, like, you get the ball 
you, you can't just wait for the help to come. You've got to be decisive, but you also have to be patient in the sense that you're not just catching the ball and just passing it off. Like, you, you've got to be strong with it, and, and you've got to put your, your, your stamp on the game in a way that Embiid didn't do in the second half. So until they show that they're able and willing to do that, until Embiid does that, you've got to continue to defend them in this, in this way and just hope again that those other guys aren't knocking down their shots. But I thought the Raptors, to their credit, did a really good job of rotating and closing out on, on the shooters. Like, those weren't, yeah, I mean, they, they missed a few clean looks, but those were, were tougher looks, I thought, than they were getting in the first couple games. So I, I like what the Raptors are doing right now, but it, it's a playoff series, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the momentum has shifted. Clearly, like, the Raptors, outside of late in, in game three and in, in, in overtime, the Raptors have been in control of this series for most of the last three games after that brutal start in Philadelphia. But as we know, and and we'll, we'll talk to Jack about this as well, because he'll know more than we do, but... Momentum very rarely carries over from game to game in a seven-game playoff series. I don't know, to answer your question, I I don't know what to expect in game six. Yeah, I mean, maybe the Raptors are feeling good about themselves. Philadelphia is is on the ropes a little bit now, and and, and maybe that carries over. Or maybe the the Sixers having a couple days off come in and, and, and really make a statement to begin game six. I could see it going either way, but... I think Raptors fans are confident, and they should be, if for no other reason, then they've got a head coach that has shown he's able to adapt. And I do think it's interesting, and I want to talk to Jack about this as well, is like if you look at the history of these Nick Nurse coach Raptors teams, it's certainly not unusual to see them get off to slow starts in the series. They've never never fallen behind 0-3 before, but they've been down, and it's always interesting to see how they evolve, how they learn and adapt yeah as the series goes on and it really does seem like it's like a slow build but eventually they seem to figure something out and that's usually the turning point yeah yeah i i still go back to you're right who knows what's going to happen in game six and it's really hard to predict i still i still go back to the rappers are playing with house money um they're playing free and, and they look like they were having just having fun and uh, you know in that game five they they were playing as a team. You, you can hear they were, they were communicating. They were like shouting for rebounds or like push the pace, you know, push it and get up the floor. And and it was Philly at home who looked so tense, you know. And it doesn't help that their fans were booing on them. But the Raptors are playing fun and free, and I think that has a lot uh, to do with their success right now because because things are going their way and and, and they're just just having a great time. And real quick before we go to break, um, so we saw Kem Birch, you know, obviously a starting. Uh, for the last couple of games, and he doesn't play very long. He he, he gets in there, he does his job, uh, wears out, you know, Joel Embiid, and then Precious Achua comes in, um, for the most part as a primary defender on Joel. And and what have you thought of Precious? Because, I, I mean, what else can we say about this guy who, in his second year, just continues to get better game by game? Well, I talked about how the Raptors and how Nick Nurse seems to evolve as a series goes on, but that's especially been the case with Precious Achua here. And I think that was to be expected, too. And to me, that was the big question going into this playoff series. Because, I listen, I, I didn't think they would lose the first three games. But I did think there would be 
probably more of a learning curve than a lot of people thought there would be. A lot of people are really confident going into this series, thinking, okay, well, the Raptors are one of the hottest teams in the league. They're playing really well. They've matched up well against Philadelphia. Um, but there, there is, I mean, the, the playoffs are a different animal. It's not just a cliche. It's, we, we see it every year. There's always that learning curve for young players. It's just a question of how quickly are they able to figure it out. And in the same way, there was like a little bit of a learning curve to begin the season where guys like Achua started slow. A bunch of the young players like took some time to, if not figure it out individually, because obviously Scotty Barnes was really good to start the year, it took them some time to figure things out together. What kind of team are they going to be? How are they going to... How are they going to execute their uh, – Nurse talks about this all the time too, is that like it took them a while to be able to change their coverages and do the things that they want to do defensively. And then I think even after figuring all that out over the course of a long 82-game season, you've got to essentially start over again in the playoffs where you're once again learning how to play in a different environment. Um, so the slow start, especially from somebody like Achua, like that, that didn't surprise me. But what's really yeah. impressed me is how he's been able to evolve throughout the, the playoff series. And, and Nurse talks about it like they've added a player in the same way that he's like, all right, well, Gary Trent is over his illness. They've got mm-hmm. Gary Trent now. Thad Young seems to be over the finger issue to some degree. They've got Thad Young now, and he's like, okay, well, we've also got Precious Achua in this series. And, and yeah, I mean, defensively, I think he's been crucial on Embiid. I mean, Thad's been really good too, but Precious is the guy that that is able to, I think, show him that kind of size and physicality that I think you need to some degree because you can send all the help you want. You need someone down there that's able to hold their own. Um, but then I, I, I think Burt has been really solid too, but to have a guy like Precious out there who now has an offensive game to speak to, yeah. I mean, the shot has really come along. He's putting the ball on the floor and attacking with confidence and under control, too. Um, that's that's a, a tough guy to, to, to handle, to deal with if you're Philadelphia because he is making a pretty big impact on both ends of the floor. All right, Josh, I think this is a good time for us to take a break and get set for Jack Armstrong, who will be joining us after, uh, after we take a, a quick break here. You're listening to the Raptors Beat. Welcome back. It's the eve of Game 6. Big one coming up at Scotiabank Arena tomorrow on Thursday, 7 o'clock p.m. You can watch it on TSN. It's a look ahead to that game and more. We welcome in our friend, the great Jack Armstrong. Good morning, Jack. How you doing, sir? Josh, Nikki, good morning. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. We're, we're excited. It's been... Uh, a couple long days here as we await Game 6, but when you look at this series and how it's gone so far, I mean, outside of the end of, of Game 3 and obviously the overtime period, the Raptors have really been in control of these last three games. The momentum has shifted as a whole, but, I mean, you know this is, as well as anybody, anything can happen from game to game. How much do you think that sort of thing, momentum or or just overall feeling good about yourself like is is that something that can carry over from game to game in a seven game playoff series well i'm a big believer in habits and uh kind of who you are and what you're about and uh what's the old line excellence is a habit not an act and when you play a team now nine times 
things form, uh, things take shape. And the fact that the Raptors beat Philadelphia three out of four in the regular season, and now they're two and three against them in the postseason. And to your point, Josh, uh, I mean, they're probably a free throw, maybe two free throws, whatever it may be, away from being up 3-2 right now and closing the series out uh, tomorrow night. Um, You know, things do take shape. And, uh, you know, momentum is important and confidence is important. And I think there's no doubt now that a a big reason, in my opinion, why Philadelphia was so good in games one and two was they had their little mini camp as all the teams did, waiting on the play-in series to end. Um, So they had Philadelphia's full attention, and I think it gave Doc Rivers and his coaching staff an opportunity to really zero in on things that they had to do better because they lost three out of four. And he could actually bust his players' chops about it and say, hey, man, these guys own you. And you could see how Philadelphia played in the first two games. They were ready for them, and they respected their opponent. Uh, you know, I, you know. now that you look at how things have taken shape the last three games, you have an extra day off in between games. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the whole thing is uh, different now. Uh, Doc Rivers doesn't have a lot of time to make adjustments, but a little more than you, than, you, uh, than you normally do. So it'll be very interesting to see how they come out. And I'm just going to paint this picture for you, and you tell me what you think. Uh, to me, uh, this is absolutely – if you're Philadelphia, you've got to close it uh, tomorrow night uh, because Friday will be a living hell for them if they don't win tomorrow night. Uh, and as much as the, you, you teams normally say, hey, I'm excited to play in front of my home fans on Game 7 on Saturday, I think it's a, just as much dread as it is – Joy. <laughs> you know, I, I was chatting with a, a friend of mine who's very tied into the Philadelphia basketball scene, good longtime friend, Philly guy. And he said, Man, these if they don't win if they don't win in Toronto, you know, the the nastiness will be off the charts come Friday and any little thing in the first quarter of the game seven that doesn't go their way. Uh, the, the boo birds, the nastiness will be out. Uh, so to me, I think for the Raptors, as much as it is excitement and people, everyone's pumped up, uh, they got to have uh, the laces tight, real tight tomorrow night and, and ready to roll early. And the crowd's really got to be into it and make it really unbearable for Philadelphia tomorrow night because I think you're going to get Philly's best punch tomorrow night because they don't want to have to deal with, uh, you know, again, most teams would say, hey, this is great. We, you know, we play all year to have game seven on our home court. I'm not sure if they feel that way. <laughs> yeah, no, not after what we saw in game five. And, and, and Jack, like, you know, someone who's really wearing it, uh, Doc Rivers, and we all know his record uh, of when he's up three games to one. And, and as a coach, I'm sure you can feel for him a little bit. Um, it does say a lot that he's obviously been in position to have these numbers that aren't so favorable because he's been around for so long. But when you talk about adjustments, and obviously the length that the Raptors were showing, particularly in Game 5, was something that frustrated Philly and really limited them. If you're a Doc and you're a Philly, what adjustments do you expect them to make? 
Well, a few things. Uh, first of all, you can't start the second quarter with both Embiid and Harden on the bench. Right. That's, that's almost arrogant. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, you have to uh, – I thought Danny Green gave them a big push for a little bit, and then they sat him for a long time. And Danny's an older guy now. And I, could, I, I kept an eye on Danny on the bench, and he was trying to stretch and, and kind of just keep himself sharp. Then he came in the game and hadn't played in quite a while. I thought he might have been hurt or something. And then he, then he put up a few air balls. And my point is, a guy like that has been in so many big games, when he's going good, you got to leave him out there. You know, he was going good for a while. Uh, I you know, I, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Ty, you know, so you got, you got to keep an eye on that. I think not having Tybo in Toronto is a plus for them because he was awful in game five and the fans yeah. booed him off the court. <laughs> uh, so that's a positive actually for them. And quite frankly, he wasn't even a positive defensively for them. I mean, Siakam just schooled them. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, I think they got to look and say, uh, to James Harden, we're paying you, what is it, $40, 45000000 million. You're not a ball distributor. You know, and I agree with Joel Embiid. When, they, uh, when the Raptors are trapping Joel Embiid in the middle of the floor, like that's like com- completely counterintuitive. Uh, you don't see teams do that a lot, you know, and, and they're just running a second, third guy at him wherever he is, low post, mid post, middle of the floor, whatever it may be. And now, you know, it's four on three elsewhere. Sometimes they send in three guys to him. Sometimes it's four on two elsewhere. The ball's got to come out quick, and then it's got to get to the second guy, and you got to attack the basket. And what Harden's doing is it's almost like uh, he is just – it's like a hot potato to him. He, he can't wait to get rid of it, you know. And Harden, to me, right now, again, now Harden can have a game for the ages tomorrow night. He could. He's that talented. He, he looks like, to me, though, a running back that, you know, as we know in football, when a hole opens, it's kind of like a millisecond. you got to be able to hit the hole and get to daylight. And, you know, an elite running back can hit that hole and get a seven, eight-yard gain. You know, and when you lose a quarter step, an eighth of a step, that hole closes a little quicker and it's a two-yard game. You know, and Harden looks like that guy now that he's never been fast, but he's always been incredibly crafty at at changing speed and accelerating and getting you off balance and being able to turn his shoulders and get into that little crevice and bang, get to daylight and now get to the second defender and, and be able to score at the rim and be able to draw fouls. Now he's not able to do that. So he's very passive. He's just getting rid of it, swinging it. So now the, what's happening is they're going against the sixth defender a lot. So to me, I think the other thing is I agree with Joel Embiid. You got to talk to a James Harden. You got to say, hey, man, ball comes out of the double. Uh, we all like, uh, as coaches, that, that you make the second pass out of the double. But this Raptor team is so quick and so athletic and so long, they're able to scramble out of those doubles quickly. If you have an opportunity to attack when the ball comes right out of the double, you got to take it. And you got to get the Raptors flying all over the place where now they're out of sync totally. 
And you got to get on the offensive glass. And right now, they haven't got, they're not making much of an effort. And maybe part of it is they don't want to get beat in transition. And then the other thing you got to talk to your team about is, hey, guys, we got to protect the ball. You know, you look at uh, uh, how, they, how well they played early in the series in terms of their ball protection. Toronto has been able to get into their personality now, turning them over. Look at the first quarter the other night. They got the running game going because Philly was sloppy. So ball protection, shot selection, uh, being uh, disciplined and aggressive. And I'll say this as well. I think when I watch Philly play, they roll into the arena and they think they're going to out-talent you. Well, guess what? They've tried to do it, and honestly, they should be down 3-2 instead of up 3-2. But they, out-talenting Toronto doesn't work. Because Toronto's too well-coached, too well-disciplined. You've got guys that play the game hard, play the game right. They play for each other. They play for the name on the front of the shirt. And Philly's not going to be able to out-talent them. They're going to actually have to out-scheme them, out-work them, uh, outdo them in every phase. And that actually takes effort, and that takes commitment uh, in, you know, in many ways that uh, you know, a lot of times is hard. And you, know, you just can't roll and say, hey, man, we got better plays. We're going to beat you. Look how that worked out for Brooklyn, right? I mean, <laughs> so it just the better teams usually win. And a lot of people get caught up in the talent thing. Okay, great. But James Harden's talent hasn't been that big a factor right now. Uh, it's, you know, if they're going to win, he's going to have to be a better basketball player and, and get to whatever talent level he has left. Yeah, it's a good point, and he's still James Harden, so he still scares you, but he, he certainly hasn't looked like James Harden, at least over the last few games. Joined by Jack Armstrong, he'll be on the call for TSN tomorrow. And Jack, I, I want to ask you about the other side of that coaching matchup. Nikki and I were talking about this earlier. These Nick Nurse-led Raptors teams, it's not entirely unusual for them to be down early in a series. We've never seen them down 3-0 before, but they were down 2-1 to Philadelphia in 2019, obviously 2-0 to Milwaukee, 2-0 to Boston, and it does seem like as the series goes on, they usually figure something out, and it's not always something entirely unusual or outside of the box like for the Philly series. It, it in a lot of ways, was as simple as going bigger, using Ibaka and Gasol together, Against Milwaukee, it was okay. Well, let's let's put Kawhi Leonard on on Giannis to start the game. But there's usually something that you can look to as like the turning point from an adjustment standpoint. Have you seen anything like that, or is there something specific that you can point to in this series that sort of shifted things a little bit? Well, respectfully to Fred VanVleet, uh, he, he was still able to be an impactful off-ball defender because he can still fly into the lap of Embiid and fly around and be disruptive with those strong hands that he has. But I do think that part of, I mean, just talking to some scouts, um, that Philly, and we could all see it, Philly was attacking Fred Van Vliet. When they had him in space, they went after him. And because I think they realized that he physically wasn't 100%. And Fred had a hard time keeping the ball in front of him. And that's normally not an issue. And you, that the, the guy was just playing on guts and sheer determination, trying to play through pain, and, and, and he's banged up. Uh, now, with him not in the lineup, and obviously you really miss his three-point shooting because you look at the Raptors shooting the other night, they didn't shoot it well, 
uh, but they found ways to win ugly, and uh, and they made timely shots, which which is really important. As sometimes the numbers look beautiful, but you don't win, right? But the shots they made were timely. But not having Fred obviously hurts your three point shooting and your playmaking and all that. Um, but what you what you have now, and Josh, you made the point about the Raptors being down two one and turning the series in Game Four in Philly in in in, in 2019 when they went big, and the fact that they're bigger now and all five positions you just can't attack off the bounce. Who uh, who are you going to attack if you're Philadelphia right now in a matchup? Which matchup can you win off the bounce? Like you know you you get are you getting by a Chua or Siakam? or Scotty Barnes or Ananobi or Trent when he's dialed in, and Trent's been really dialed in, are you, are you blowing by any of those guys? You know, probably Boucher would probably be the weakest on-ball guy you have, but his length in terms of shot blocking and all that can make a difference and his offensive rebounding. But to me, the fact that they're bigger now and quicker and more athletic and healthier, uh, they're a nuisance to score against. They're a nuisance to run your stuff against. So to me, I think uh, part of it is just saying, hey, we're going to play big. We're going to fly around a lot. And uh, they figured it out. And I think they also have really, uh, really figured out what matchups they want. I mean, like every time a guy, George Yang, is on the floor, they're just trying to get him in pick and roll and say, okay, we're just schooling them. And, uh, I, I think Nick Nurse does a great job in game as the game goes on of identifying which matchups work and exploiting them. And I don't think Philadelphia is quick enough to realize what's going on. The game's playing them rather than them playing it. And they're very reactionary. And uh, I think Toronto's proactive. Well, it'll be interesting. The Sixers have had, I mean, both teams have had now a couple days to think about this going into game six. And I'm not sure that's good news for the team that's clearly feeling the pressure in Philadelphia, but we'll see tomorrow. Jack, thanks, uh, as always, for taking the time. Enjoy the game tomorrow, and we'll chat soon. Thanks, Jack. You got to look forward to seeing both of you tomorrow night, and it should be awesome, the crowd and everything. It should be awesome, awesome. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yes, sir. There he is, the great Jack Armstrong. He'll be on the call tomorrow for TSN. 7 p.m. tip-off, a big game six. And as Jack mentioned, uh, the atmosphere in the building, I'm expecting to be a whole lot different than the atmosphere we saw in Philadelphia for game five. And that's a really interesting point that Jack made earlier as well, too, is that if you're Philadelphia, the idea of going back for a game seven in in that building that just booed you off the floor, more or less. (laughs) And left early. (laughs) Yeah. And left early, yeah, I mean, this is – and this was always going to be the case in this series. Like, the team feeling the pressure was the, the team with the championship expectations. Mm-hmm. The team that went out and got James Harden at the deadline, the team with an MVP in his prime. But they're not responding well to that pressure. As easy as things looked for them early in this series, they've had a hard time responding to the Raptors' counterpunch. So – We'll see what they've got tomorrow night in Toronto. We'll continue to tee up game six, talk about some X-Factors, who could make a difference on both sides of the floor. That's all coming up here on the Raptors Beat. 
crunch time on the Raptors beat. And Nikki, before we wrap up, I want to talk about Pascal Siakam. He's been so good in these last couple games. I know the doubters were back in full force after his poor performance in the second half of game three and we talked about it that like it's it was okay to acknowledge that pascal siakam did not play well enough or aggressive enough in the second half of game three you don't have to sugarcoat that or pretend like it didn't happen that's not to me that's not being unfair what was unfair i think as usual is kind of people extrapolating that further and saying well here we go again Pascal Siakam not a playoff performer all that but in in true Siakam fashion he's been doing it all year he silenced those doubters he he has been proving people wrong the last couple games has been excellent he's going to need to be really good again in game six though we can assume that Fred Van Vliet will likely be out we don't know exactly what to expect from Scotty Barnes after he played 41 minutes and is limping a little bit after um, game five, though I did think he was better than in his return. But, <laughs> but what did uh, he Siakam's say? Gonna... What did Scotty say? He's like, I'm young, or I got young bones, or something like young that. Young bones. Got young bones. So I, yeah, I expect him to be a bit better. But you're right. He's Sorry, Wolverine go on. Wolverine, like Kyle Lowry. <laughs> what do you what What are you expecting from Siakam in Game Six? What do the Raptors need from Siakam in Game Six? More of the same. More we saw in Game Five. And, and you're right. He he owned it. He he acknowledged that he wasn't good enough in Game Three, and he turned things around. But I love what Jack said uh, when we had him in the last segment. Jack Armstrong talking about um, the talent that Philly has in in Harden, in Joel Embiid. And they almost came in thinking that they can just out-talent Toronto. But this is a team that works so well collectively, right? And yes, you're going to need Pascal to to be the aggressor and, and carry this team. But it does take OG Ananobi. It does take Gary Trent Jr. and Barnes and Achua and Boucher. And guys like Thad, you know, coming out and having these great performances. And it doesn't have to be 48 minutes of, of a, a great performance. But the, the contributing minutes from guys like Thad who, you know, in, in game four and five have made an impact have found have been a recipe for success for this team. And so I don't want to put all the pressure on, on Siakam. But, yeah, he does wear a lot of it. But when it comes to X factors, is there is there an X factor for you, or does it have to be again this whole team coming together to get the job done? I mean, my mind immediately goes to Gary Trent. I just think, I mean, mm. if you look at the series as a whole so far, he has been the X factor. I, I thought, I mean, listen, the Raptors did not play well enough to win games one or one two. two. I know there are obvious caveats here. They weren't happy with the officiating, although, like, yeah, the officiating wasn't great. And and maybe those two quick calls on Fred Van Vliet in the first game, like, maybe maybe that changes the, the tone of things to some degree and how physical the Raptors think they can be. But I think overall, and we talked about this earlier, like, the inexperience to me is what showed for the Raptors they they weren't ready to match Philadelphia's intensity, their physicality. They weren't mentally or physically ready. So for me, it wasn't so much the officiating. And yes, I, I do think like maybe if Barnes doesn't get hurt at the end of game one, or, or maybe if Trent is, is healthy and not dealing with that illness going mm-hmm. into the series, things maybe those games are a little bit more competitive. I think they probably lose those two anyway. But we've seen the difference when Trent is is involved in the game i mean offensively for a team that doesn't have a whole lot of guys that that can create off the bounce and that can shoot the ball he's made a huge difference and then i love that jack mentioned specifically when gary is locked in because i I do think he's got the potential to be either one of the worst defensive players on the floor or one of the best depending on how (laughs) locked in he is but 
when, when he is dialed in, we've seen him getting those deflections. He's poking the ball away. He's he's right up in there challenging guys. It's, so I think he's been a big factor here. I agree with you. Like I, I think there, there's not one guy that needs to have a huge game in order for the Raptors to win this this thing. Although we said going in, like Pascal Siakam, if the Raptors are going to have a chance, Siakam has to be the second best player on the floor behind Embiid. He was the best player on the floor ahead of Embiid in, in Game Five. So if he has that type of game in Game Six, that that helps a whole lot. And then I think yeah, Gary Trent, Precious Achua has been really key in turning this series around. Anybody that stand out to you? Uh, no, you're right. I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Gary Trent Jr., the first two games are really reflective of, of him not being 100%. And and uh, obviously the results have been, are what they are since he's gotten better. Okay, real quick, I have one more question for you. I'm going to put the cart before the horse because we're a weekly show. Um, <laughs> the rapper's obviously trying to make history here. Josh, what do you think it would mean to the franchise, to the organization, to the city, if they do pull off this upset and come away with a win over Philly? Well, I have mixed feelings on this and that. Like, I, I do think that that would be huge, but I don't think it need. I, I think whatever happens here, the Raptors can feel really good about what they've done to this point. You mentioned it earlier, the the idea that they're playing with house money, and I, I think that was always going to be the degree, or always going to be the... the um, the, the case in this series that e- even if things did end in a disappointing fashion, even if it did end in a sweep, we could look at it and be like, okay, well, the Raptors were able to get some much-needed playoff experience. It would have been disappointing, I think, that Scotty Barnes would, would have barely played in the series. But overall, it's like, okay, disappointing ending, but they can still be proud of their season. Now the narrative has shifted to the point where it's like, okay, they, they wanted to get as many games out of this thing as possible. They're going to get at least six of them. Scotty Barnes has come back. He's been able to get that experience. So has uh, young guys like Precious Achua and Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi with more playoff reps, and he's looked really good. So I think from that standpoint, it, it's been a success. But I also just think like at this point, and this is where the narrative is for me right now, is like this sort of epitomizes this series what the season has been for the Raptors, where they're like, all right, screw the odds, screw the expectations, screw the injuries and the adversity and all of that. This is a team that, that hasn't quit all year long. They've yeah. uh, they've thrived. They've They've relished the opportunity to prove people wrong. And they're doing it again. So however this turns out, I, I would feel really good about what the Raptors have done, not only this season, but in this series. Um, and if they are able to pull it off, well, I mean, we, we saw the Raptors make history three years ago, becoming the first team outside of the U.S. to win a championship. This is an organization that's made a lot of history, that's accomplished a lot of firsts over the last 10 years during this most successful run in franchise history. So why not, why not add another one? Why not? I'm along for the ride, and it begins tomorrow, Thursday, Game 6. You can watch that on TSN. Josh, you're going to be there. I'm going to rely on your Twitter because you, you're you on it. You're all over every moment, every action, uh, and I appreciate your Twitter feed. It's going to be a fun one tomorrow, and, and like we've been saying, it'll be it'll be cool to see that, that building rocking again so we're looking forward to that we'll be back with you next week hopefully to talk Mm -hmm. about a a second round series but until then check us out on spotify anywhere else where you get your podcasts subscribe and follow rate and review on behalf of chris diavero back in studio and nikki reyes i'm josh lewinberg 
Thanks for listening.